Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. everyone welcome to the tennis.com podcast i'm nina pantic joined by irena falcone hi irena hey guys how's it going this is an unusual episode i just got back from world team tennis in west virginia so we're going to recap that real quick just go over some basics and then launch into an interview i got with Jeannie bouchard super excited for it so nina like you said you were at world team tennis in greenbrier west virginia where for three weeks, there were a bunch of players and coaches and lots of competition, and it felt like we were back on tour. Tell us how that was. Like, did you feel like a really good energy? Did you feel like we were like the tour is back? Like, tell us everything. Okay, so it was the most surreal experience of my life. I'm not even going to say career, like general life. You can't replicate what we did there. It was 50-something players plus their coaches and I was one of the only media people there. So it made for a really intimate environment. The players were super amped up. And I think the difference is that it's team tennis. If it was an individual, like we'll see at the US Open, hopefully. Not that we the same vibe. Like the vibe was so team spirited and there was so much camaraderie and people were hanging out after matches, before matches. People were doing interviews. Like we, we're going to have Jeannie Bouchard on, we mentioned. We're going to have a lot more players coming up in the next couple of weeks of interviews I got with them during World Team Tennis because the vibe was so relaxed. And I guess generally the idea was like, let's try and get as much tennis in, but not get injured and obviously not get COVID. So it worked. Like it, I mean, people have their opinions saying that it wasn't a good idea to have a season and it was risky and people, there's so many haters out there. And I understand that the pandemic is a bigger issue than sports, but it worked. Like you said, it worked. I, a lot of people thought that it was not a good idea. Um, but first, first things first, I mean, nobody got COVID. Nobody tested positive. So clearly Carlos Silva and the World Team Tennis, um, you know, uh, administration did a really good job with everything that was entailed and providing like a clean and safe environment for players. Was, were, were the protocols that were put in place, were they just like out of this world or were they just pretty standard stuff? I think the most important part was location. Like you're at the Greenbrier and I know it looks really cool from uh, when you're outside looking in and it is an awesome place, but it's huge and there's nowhere to go. Like you're in this resort and there are other guests there, but there's nowhere for you to leave to. There's nowhere, there's no, there's nowhere to get in trouble. And that was an, a crucial part for this working. And then the protocols were pretty simple. I mean, the number one thing was testing and people had to come in with a negative test. And then if you, I mean, even if you flew or drove, you have to then get tested upon arrival and the tests all varied. There was a different kinds of tests versus the one that goes up your nose and swabs your brain. That was the first test. Second test was more of like a nose tickle. It was still uncomfortable, but nowhere near as bad. And there was also a blood uh, finger prick test. So there was three different kinds of tests and they were done regularly. And most of that, once you get past the first two hurdles was to keep everyone, I think, I think to keep them, keep them in line. Like there's no messing around when you know there's a test coming up and it worked. I mean, the other protocols, we have to wear masks indoors when you're around the resort, which was the resorts protocol. It wasn't even Carlos Silva's. And then players were, you know, recommended not to go in the casino. Makes kind of sense. I mean, why would you go in there? And Overall, everyone had the same understanding that we were in this together and we wanted to pull it off 
for the world, not just for world team tennis, not just to not embarrass themselves, but not to ruin it, the next sport, the next tournament. And it, it was an interesting, unique experience and I'll never forget it. In a sense, it was almost like a, a test to prove that it's like able to happen. And as we know, US Open is supposed to happen in a couple of weeks. And you were talking about how there were a lot of activities and it's a resort at the Greenbrier and all of these players were able to do so many different things like falconry and horseback riding and a bunch of other things. At the US Open, there are certain protocols where you're not going to be allowed to leave the hotel. How do you think that's going to work? It's totally different. I, I don't envy the US Open trying to figure that out because how are you going to track players and where they go? What if they do go to Manhattan to a restaurant? And in, in a way, like I live in New York and we do outdoor dining and I don't feel unsafe, but I'm also not under strict protocols. I haven't signed a life, uh, an agreement that I'm not going to do that. I think the Greenbrier was unique. Yeah, there was falconry and there was uh, trap shooting. I did all of that. But it was so safe because you're with your teammates and you're with media that's part of this bubble we've created and you're not getting up close and personal to strangers. The US Open is going to be super different. I think it's obviously doable. They're, they're going to do it. But World Team Tennis, you can't replicate that environment. And I think unless you were there, my biggest thing for people that were watching, unless you were there, you don't understand what it was like and why players hugged after they won that final point, why they started high-fiving. It's because once you get past three tests, you're like, hey, we're family. Like, we're all a big family. Even though we're fighting for a million dollars against each other, we've all done this together. And it was kind of beautiful, weirdly. A million dollars, that, that's a lot at stake. And the format is so different from what most tennis fans are used to. You know, you're used to the two out of three, three out of five set match play and all that stuff. But World Team Tennis is a little different. Tell us why it makes it such a fun fan environment and that team camaraderie, you can't find it anywhere else other than maybe Davis Cup and Fed Cup, but very weird format. And very weird that it was all in one location and it really changed the spirit of the event. So as someone that has watched World of Team Tennis but never really lived it like I did, I got a really firm understanding of what makes it so appealing. The first regular season, I, I think the best way to look at it is separate that from the postseason, two separate tournaments. Because once we got into postseason, the vibe was different, the energy was different, and every little point was like so emphasized. And then the system, like the final, for example, we have this thing called extended play. And I didn't quite get it. And I was like, this kind of seems silly. Like, what? No team's going to come back. If you're down 17, 15, it's the final set. You lose 5 2, it's over. Down 17, 15 in the final set. In this case, it was women's doubles. And uh, Coco Vandeweghe and Nicole Melikar beat Jeannie Bouchard and Bethany Maddox Sands. So that means the trailing team gets a chance to keep going, extended play. And if they win enough games to even the, the team score up, which they did at 20 all, it goes into a super tiebreaker, which is literally just a regular tiebreaker. It's played to seven. But it's super because at six all, it's sudden death. And we had one in early, early in the season, but I, I mean, it, there's a lot on the line, obviously, in regular season to get to the playoffs, but it was pretty clear which teams were the best, and New York Empire actually snuck in, like, at the last minute. But when you're watching it come down to one point, it's the most surreal experience ever, and for it to end, this historic season to end on that one note was just out of this world. And, like, Coco Vandewey hit a 400 return that was worth $500,000. And I know the U.S. Open has more prize money. I get it. But you never have a deciding point in this situation. I know UTS has done some wild stuff. Obviously, ATP finals for the younger kids. Next gen is different. But like 1.6 all. And they put Sloan Stevens in, which is bizarre. Subbed her in for the super tiebreaker. Took Jeannie out. 
And then Coco hits forehand, clips the line. Everyone thought it was out. I was on top of the line. I knew it was in. And she ended up winning it. And it's just, it was nuts. But uh, Jeannie Bouchard is the p- focus of this episode. And I just, I also want to point out how great she was playing. Even though she got subbed out in that last match, she was crushing it. I know that you mentioned in the interview where she actually did really well in Lexington and in Charleston, and she clearly did a spectacular here showing against uh, Danielle Collins. I know that she was down quite a few games and was able to come back. And uh, I, I think Sloan was actually playing and she was subbed out actually uh, in, in place of Sloan, which is also such a weird dynamic, but um Super excited to hear Jeannie's interview and also really excited to hear about all the other players that you interviewed. I know one of them was Tennis Sangren, and he's quite a character on the court. So uh, let's get ready to hear Jeannie Bouchard. All right, Jeannie, thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Okay, so I just want to start off by saying how fun is it to be playing tennis again competitively? It's great. Honestly, the last couple of months have definitely been rough. Um, obviously, there are people who are experiencing experiencing much worse out there but um you know to just not have a job and not even have that certainty and not even sure when you're going to be able to start working again things like that um it's just it's it's been tough so to be able to have this event going on this world team tennis even though it's not like a sanctioned event it's still a job and um you know we get to do what we love i'm just so grateful for that you've been mvp a few times you've been crushing it in doubles what's working for you i guess the past couple weeks because you also were great in lexington and charleston Thank you. Yeah, I've just, I worked really hard during those months, you know, even with the uncertainty, I was really going in the gym every single day and um, still trying to keep tennis up as well. And just trying to be ready kind of in case anything was going to happen. So that was kind of my mentality. Um, and I think, you know, I got stronger. I think I got better. So hopefully um, that's showing on the court a little bit. You did some training in Vegas, right? With, I believe, Agassi, Graf, Gilreas. Is that true? And how incredible was that? Yeah, I pretty much um, moved out to Vegas full-time last October uh, for Gil. I think he's, like, the best strength coach in the world. So um, I just I just thought the physical aspect of my game needed to be improved upon. So I just, you know, kind of went to Vegas and never looked back kind of thing. And um, beyond lucky and grateful that, you know, Andre and Steffi are also able to help me on the tennis side. Um, so I have a really cool team out there. When the shutdown happened, did you think of it as it would be a long time and you should take advantage and try and work out? Because that's, I feel like people either went one way, they either got really, really fit or just got really, really lazy. Did you think it was be a while and you want to take advantage or was it frustrating and you wanted to chill? It was so frustrating. I mean, at first we were told it was only six weeks and I thought that was like crazy long. And to like look back and realize how many weeks it's been beyond six is just like fascinating. And it just shows you what like a human can go through. Like it's, you know, you can train in the gym for three months straight. Like I did it. it there's proof. So, I mean, I was super impatient because I wanted to play. Like I really want to play tournaments and get my ranking back up and things like that. Um, but we kind of took it as like, okay, well, why not? Like you are either going to go one way or the other. You're going to sit on the couch and get fat or you're going to go in the gym and train. So might as well just get stronger. And um, that's what I tried to do. Was there anything that you picked up during quarantine? Anything that you enjoyed about it? Um, I know some people, I kind of appreciate having time at home. Uh, I know you maybe you weren't actually literally at home, but yeah, it was good. No, I was alone. It was actually pretty rough for me. Um, I was alone out in Vegas. I had obviously my team there, but I wasn't able to see family. Um, There's a limitation on the border between Canada and the U.S., so like that was kind of rough. I wasn't able to see any friends or anything. My mom came out at the at the very end of it, which was good. 
But yeah, honestly, it was tough. I watched a lot of TV shows and then I was productive a little bit. I did like an online class with Harvard. I did, yeah, neuroscience, weird. Um, I picked up the piano, tried to keep up Spanish. I've been trying to learn Spanish for years, but yeah. So I did a couple of things, but all good. Neuroscience. So did you ever consider college or is that something you launched right into from high school? You know, that's a great question. I never considered it. And I know it's a great option for a lot of um, tennis players. And I have so many friends that went that route. But for me, I was like, and I know this is crazy, but I was nine years old and I was like, I'm becoming a professional tennis player. And I don't recommend people deciding their futures at nine, but I just... I can't explain it. I was just so sure. I traveled um, outside of North America for the first time when I was nine for this big event in in France. And I just thought traveling was awesome and to play tennis was awesome. And I was like, this can be my job. Like, 100%, this is my job. And I kind of had this, like, one lane, like, focus. And, like, there was, n- there was never a plan B for me. And um, But, again, it is a great option, but it was just never for me. I love that. I think that works though when you have that focus of it being your plan A and no plan B. That's a big thing because it helps you get there. I totally agree with that. Often, you know, if there is a plan B, it becomes plan A. You know what I mean? And you have something to fall back on. So, but it wasn't even, and I loved school. Like I wish I could like relive my life and just be like a nerd in school because I like loved math. I would like, I, there are so many things I would want to wanted to do maybe I'll do after tennis whatever I really loved school so that part like kind of hurt when I saw all my friends in college and I wasn't you know but obviously um you know I chose what I chose and I'm I love it and the sacrifice was worth it but you know I I do feel undereducated <laughs> there's so much time left I mean I'm getting there I'm 26 I feel pretty old so no uh no so how has your relationship with tennis changed as the years have kind of gone on? Do you still feel that love and passion is there? Yeah. You know, I think it's definitely been up and down a little bit, just in a natural way of like, sometimes you love it more, sometimes you don't, um, which I feel like I mean, even normal people can relate to with you know their job or their passion or whatever it is. You don't wake up like loving it every single day and like, oh my God, I'm so excited to do side to side drills today. Like I'm just, I love it. But um, as I've gotten older, it sounds corny, but like I just appreciate it so much more. You know, I just think it's such a cool job. It's so unique. And I'm just beyond grateful to my parents for even starting me in this, for supporting me, pushing me through it and and proud of myself for for still being here. And your next couple of plans, um, I guess, as this tour reopens allegedly i'm trying to be very careful with things might change but i know you committed to prague so there's a plan to travel and get back on tour yeah you know we don't have many tournaments all the challengers are actually canceled right now and that was kind of my plan because of where my my ranking is i would have to play some challenger events um but luckily and you know so grateful that i was able to get a wild card into prague and um I mean, we'll see what happens. I think those tournaments are going to happen no matter what. We have Palermo, Prague, and Lexington. And then, obviously, we'll see about Cincinnati U.S. Open. But, yeah, crazy times. I mean, I'm just going to put so much pressure on myself. Cause it's like you have literally one chance to like <laughs> to make points. It's your only opportunity. It's one tournament in the past six months. So, like, I don't know. That's terrifying to put it that way. i got to be ready. I mean, I'm just hard on myself. So, But you're putting in so much match practice. I think the fact that you played Lexington, Charleston, and now and here in World Team Tennis, that's going to help. I hope so. I mean, I hope so. Uh, that was the plan, you know, the fact that we can get these exhibition matches. People are treating all of this stuff like real because we have nothing else. So, you know, it's fun, of course, but like it's still serious. So I hope it helps me. Has it adjusted your perspective and just being so grateful to have the tour and have 52? I mean, literally, there's more than 52 tournaments. There's like hundreds. But to have that, it's almost like we took it for granted. 
Yeah. It's weird, you know? Like, I actually spent, I think, four months without going on a plane during this time, and I was, you know, talking to my mom about it, and I was like, I don't think I've done that since I was literally 10 years old. Like, we're always traveling, and we always have something coming up, and we always have a job. We always have this opportunity, and so I I remember saying, like, I literally miss sitting at a gate at the airport, and then I traveled, like, for the first time to Charleston, and I was like, all right, I don't miss it anymore, but, you know, the thought was there, and it was just like... I was like, I miss traveling and like, I love traveling, but the grind of it is definitely tough. So I didn't think I'd miss the grind aspect, but I literally missed like the fact, oh my God, like my flight is delayed. I'm going to miss my connection. What? Like, yes, come at me. Like, just give it all, you know? <laughs> I understand what you're saying. I, it's, it's definitely been weird. I, do you miss also the fans? I know you have lots of diehard fans, Genie Army, people really come out to support you and see you play. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like such a virtual world now that you almost don't even... I don't know. Like, I feel like we play for fans, even though there aren't that many here, but we know, you know, it's online and it's on TV and things like that. Of course, I miss fans in person. I miss, like, taking selfies and, like, signing autographs because, like, we kind of can't even do that right now anyway. Like, I've taken a couple of pics with fans and I'm like, stay six feet away. I don't want to get in trouble. Put your mask on, you know. It just, I know we have to do it, but it just sucks that the world is like this right now. It's so different. And you are so much more. I mean, I feel like you're always aware of, of what you're doing in, in public anyway, but now more so than ever. Oh, so aware. It's it's stressful. You know, you have to like constantly, you know, be aware of what you're doing and, and where you are and who's around. And you're like checking yourself constantly as opposed to just like living. Yeah. You always have to have this like, like this mom in your head. Like, okay, are you doing the right thing? I can't imagine anyone more well-connected online to, like, maintain a virtual existence than you. I feel like you have, like, two million followers. Your Instagram game is so strong. Is that something you, like, developed naturally and, like, just figured it out as you went? Because are you comfortable with it now? You know, honestly, like, I've been getting this question since the beginning because, you know, when I started doing well is also when social media was, like, fully exploding and and people are like, oh, my God, like, you know, your social media. And I'm just, like, I'm literally just acting, like, at the time, let's say I was 20 I'm acting like a normal 20-year-old. All my friends are on all these social media apps. Okay, obviously, I have a lot more people watching mine than my friends. But, like, I'm posting about the dumb shit I would even if I was a normal kid or, like, you know, my sisters. My Like, I was just acting normal. Like, acting like myself and literally just being myself out there. And then people just thought that was so fascinating because normally there's, like, this protective cover, this shield, you know. And I wasn't at all. I was, like, literally, I would post a selfie right now regardless if I was me or if I was just normal me in university like it's I was literally just being so authentic and I think you know I hope that people like appreciated that and I think my fans did um and people just thought that was cool but um yeah it's the way of life now has it opened up more opportunities in terms of like sponsors and deals because I know like literal Instagram influencers who aren't athletes get deals all the time does that happen to athletes too oh 100% I mean the number one question brands ask is like what's the following you know so it's all about that um you know in all contracts you have you know post certain amount of times this and that and um it's just it's a way of just valuing people I guess it's just a way of like judging people which is obviously it's superficial in a way obviously you know we're all humans but um it's just a way to like put a number on a person so it's the business these days 
Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Hey guys, today we're with WTA star Jeannie Bouchard telling us how she handles the ups and downs of social media. Keep listening. Has there been any, I guess, cons to being so famous in terms of people always like commenting and hating on you and being like, you should be practicing. Um, you see that kind of stuff all the time and it's just unfair and ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I've been through the whole spectrum of like people loving you and you're going and everything's going great. People love you and things are going bad. People hate you. And then it's like the comeback. And then it's just like I've been through that wave so many times. It just it just sucks that um, people think social media is like an exact, you know, representation of your day when it's not like I can literally you know, go running for eight hours and then go to dinner and post a selfie. And like, people think I just went to dinner. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's so beyond. And it's like, it's only what people need to realize. It's only what people choose to show. That's what's out there. Like you can literally live a whole double life that no one knows about, but it's like, if you post whatever you want to post, like that's apparently your life. And so, yeah, I went through the whole spectrum of you know, wanting to post, not wanting to pose, like being scared and then being like, well, F all of you guys, like, I'm going to still live my life. Like I went through the whole like thing of emotions. Um, and I just, I just don't even care anymore. It's just exhausting. You figured it out. I'm 26. You've got it handled. I mean, I wouldn't say I have it handled, but it's more just like you have to, I don't know. I just don't value the opinions of people who are out there just judging kind of what I put out there, you know? And I really try to refrain from posting bikini pictures. I really do. So, you know. Why? You, you did SI. Yeah, but, like, I don't know. Apparently, you if you post that, it means you don't play tennis or something. So, you know. It's influenced a little bit how I act. Uh, maybe I'm just getting more mature, and I'm like, look, I'm not going to post, like, butt pictures every day. But, um, yeah, I don't know. But you did SI, and that was an incredible photo shoot. That's something you're going to have forever as, like, proof that you I don't know look awesome (laughs) I honestly really appreciate that thank you um it is a huge thing I was in it two years in a row and it was just like I'm just so grateful for that opportunity and you know at the end of the day tennis is what led me to all the cool opportunities I've done and that's what people need to realize like like I was in Vogue I was in this I was in that I was like if someone calls you and is like hey do you want to be in Vogue yes or no like what are you going to do say no you know and tennis like brought me that opportunity so it's like of course I'm a tennis player first and foremost but it opened other doors why would I not try be the best why why would I not try to do everything I can like we have such a short life. like who are you to judge my decisions like I'm just trying to like do the best I can and like just do whatever and if things come my way like great you know I hope things go your way I hope things go everyone's way you know what I mean like why are you trying to put me in a little box so you only have a, a, a short window. I mean, theoretically, maybe 10 years, maybe only one year of being in the spotlight and really crushing it. And why not take advantage of it? Totally. Totally. Why? Like, why would I not explore opportunities? Like, you know. Have you thought about what you might do? I know you're only 26. Have you thought about what you might do after? That's a very good question. Um, I feel like I should start thinking about that more because I'm getting so old. Uh, I don't know. I'm so torn between like a million things. Part of me is like, I'm going to do nothing. I'm tired. But my brain, my, I'm just not wired that way. Obviously, I'll take like a month off and then be like, okay, I need to start doing something. Um, 
part of me wants to go back to school. Part of me wants to, I don't know, go into other, like, cool areas of life. You know, we have this movie going on with the, the whole Twitter day thing. Like, so that's going on. And I'm like, that's pretty cool. Like, I'm an executive producer for that movie. And I'm like, maybe going into the film industry would be cool. Obviously, I would be a terrible actor. So, like, not in that sense. Maybe behind the camera. Like, there are just a million options and I have no idea. The Twitter movie is the one where you got, you lost the bet and went on the date. That's being turned into a movie. What's the details on that? When's it coming out? <laughs> yeah, that, that um, you know, infamous moment in my life when I tweeted when I shouldn't have it just turned into this whole thing. But it's actually, it turned out to be really cool. Obviously, I'm, I'm friends with John, you know, the guy who, uh, who tweeted at me. And, um, yeah, Fox bought it. It bought the rights to the movie. Um, we have, like, a script. They're going to start trying to get actors attached to it. I mean, everything kind of slowed down because of this pandemic. But um, super cool idea. Super cool that they even wanted to, like, even make a story out of what happened in my real life. I'm like, this is not even, like, I can't believe this is real. Like, they want to make a movie about something that happened to me. Like, I'm just, like, in shock. Like, I can just die right now. Are you still in touch with him? Like, is he involved in it too, John? So, I mean, yeah, I'm in touch with him casually. I mean, sometimes he, like, plays hard to get. I'm like, bro, like, we're friends. Like, text me back. Like, it's okay. Uh, <laughs> but um, he's not involved more in the movie aspect. Um, I was with, so this, like, producer and this writer um, just thought it was a cool story. And we went to, like, pitch it to all the, um, to the film. We went to, like, so many meetings in L.A. and things like that. So I was kind of involved in the process just because I, they wanted me attached. Obviously, it's more credible and things like that. Like, it really happened to me and to make it as, like, kind of realistic as possible. And I just thought it was so cool. So I was like, of course, why not? Um, but, yeah, I'm in, I'm in touch with John. We, I mean, we've hung out a bunch of times. And, you know, I think he's a girlfriend now, though, so I don't know. I think he, maybe that's why he doesn't take me back. Wow. Yeah. Brutal. All his girlfriends literally, like, hate me. It's so, like, we've talked about it so much. Like, every girl that he ever, like, hangs out with is like, why would you want to hang out with me? Because you, like, hung out with Jeannie. And I'm just, like, I'm, like, ruining his, like, dating life. It's so sad. You're intimidating. Well, and but I'm just, like, he's, like, we don't even, like... I live in wherever he lives. He's in Chicago. I'm around the world. Like, we hang out once a year. Like, I'm not, like, a threat. Like, relax. And um, and it caused problems in my... At the time, I, I had a boyfriend and it caused problems as well. It was... Honestly, we were a disaster for each other's, like, dating lives. It was so bad. That's not what I've expected at all. <laughs> because the other person just gets... I mean, you see articles and you just get jealous and you, you wonder if, like, oh, my God, is that real? Was it not? Is it still a thing? Is it not? And... I can see how um, girls would be jealous of and guys in my life as well. So it was tough. Yeah, we were we were problematic for each other. It's going to make for great TV. There's so many tennis movies out there. There's some great ones, but there's so many that are really kind of terrible. <laughs> yes. I'm excited. I think that's fun to be popularizing the sport in a different way. I agree. I'm like, this is great for the sport. And they want like my insight on like when they have the tennis scenes or when they, you know, have specific moments that um, only like someone who's on tour, like who lives the life I live can kind of give them. So I hope it, it you know, keeps going. I hope it works out. And um, just I love tennis. So like anytime tennis can just be, I don't know, there's more people can appreciate the sport that I just dedicate my life to. I just I love it. Making it more mainstream is so key, which I think you're doing even just by being yourself. As you said, you've literally just been living your life the way that you want to, and that's how it's worked out. So that's right. really fun. Yeah. Okay, so I just have one last question. I just want to talk about Chicago Smash real quick. What? Oh, yeah. Why are we your guys' team dynamics mm -hmm. seem really fun. You got Bethany Maddox-Sands, character. You got Regine Ram, who's so nice. 
little Brandon. <laughs> little B. Sloan's a character. I mean, the personality and then Kamal Murray, obviously, character. Eccentric, happy, social, friendly. Like, you guys are all seeing, like, the most outgoing team ever. Honestly, it's so weird because we are just all different, like, ages, different cultures, different backgrounds. Like, our team is the most, like, random assortment of people. And we just get along the best. I know there's been so much drama on other teams. And, like, our team is just so laid back, so chill. We're intense when we need to be on the court and things like that. But we all just get along. I can't explain it. I'm like, I thought every team had amazing chemistry like ours, and they don't. So I'm just, I need to realize that and be grateful and appreciative because I know not every team is like this. But I think it starts with the coach, you know. The coach kind of gives the vibe, and Kamal is just so chill and laid back and, and fun. And he's like your friend, you know, and um, you want to hang out with him. So... He gives us that vibe, and then we all just are friends with each other. I just, there's no other way to explain it. You've gotten a look at singles a few times, too. Is there any, like, awkwardness when people get subbed in, or if someone wants to play doubles, someone wants to play singles, mixed doubles? Like, is there any, like, weirdness? That's a great question. Uh, so far, we've had none of that. You know, I've known Sloan literally since we're 11 years old. We, we trained together in Florida. Um, and <laughs> she lost a, a tough match one time and was like, come out, you should have put Jeannie in. Like, what are you doing? And so now we're like, she's like... Someday she's like, Jeannie, be ready. If it doesn't go well, you're going in right away. You know, yesterday, come out and put me in from the start. And she was, you know, at the back supporting me. And obviously I support her whenever she plays. And obviously I want to play every single day, every single match all the time. Um, but this is a team sport. So we're just doing what's best for the team. But yeah, we all just support each other, honestly. I also love you guys also take advantage of the fact that we're at the Green Bar and you're doing activities. Like live your life and go ATVing and horseback riding and shooting. Like why not? Oh, 100%. And I mean, that's part of the, you know, thrill of being here is just having all these opportunities i've done so many activities and actually i have horseback riding at three today so you know we'll have to cut this interview short no i'm kidding but we uh we're just yeah i mean why not it's such a unique time and we're like at this pl- normally we're traveling during world team fantasy and we're we, we're not so we have this luxury of having this extra time where we're not traveling why not make the most of it exactly okay i don't want to run into your horseback riding time <laughs> so we are going to end on, on that horse, i'm sorry that's awesome. I'm honestly <laughs> jealous and impressed and go for it. Um, thank you for your time. It's been, it's been great. Oh, thank you for having me. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. From the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, this has been the Tennis.com Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to stay caught up. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and every major listening app, as well as Tennis.com slash podcasts. You can also see the videos of our episodes on Tennis Channel's YouTube page and Tennis.com's Facebook page. We're your hosts, Nina Pantic and Irina Falcone. We'd like to thank our team, editor and audio designer and video editor, Christina Koseva, producers, Alexa March and Sean O'Malley, and executive producers, Shelby Coleman, Kyle Einhorn, and Andy Chu.